0: Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, recorded live at 2828 Crossover in Fayetteville, Arkansas. For notes and resources accompanying this teaching, visit gracechurchnwa.org. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Good morning, everybody. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church, and it's really great to see everyone this morning. And it was the job that I wanted more than anything else in the world. I had grown up um, going on and later working on a traveling summer camp where the creator of the camp got an old school bus, an old Bluebird school bus from Conway, Arkansas, and he specially outfitted it. And he would load up every summer with 30 boys from Austin, and we would camp and fish our way to Alaska and back. And that's how I spent my summers growing up. And after a couple years in ministry of, um, of doing the support raising thing and being involved in that, um, he had, I, I got the news that he had chosen to retire. And so I put in a call and I saw him and I soon found out he wanted to sell me the company to do this. And you got to understand, there is nothing in the world that at that time I wanted to do more than that. It had, it had literally at times saved my life as a young man, being involved. My heroes were the, the counselors on this trip. And it was this grand vision of the outdoors, of being outdoors. But at this time, since you know I was a Christian and being involved in missions, I thought, well, maybe I should stop and pray about this, even though this is obviously what I should do. Maybe I should stop and pray about this. And that's when things started to fall apart. See, I, I had three revelations, and, and it took me a long time before I could understand them in the way that I'm going to say them to you. At the time, it was very messy. At this time, it was very confusing. But I, come to, I came to understand that God, first of all, that God would love me no matter what choice I made that no matter if I took the job or didn't take the job, whether I stayed in missions or whether I went and did the camping business, that God was going to love me, that his love, his affection for me wasn't going to be based on the decision I made. And the second thing that I understood as I prayed about this and I talked with people was that this was not the best decision to make, that this was not, God's best desire for me. And it wasn't a word, it wasn't a physical voice, it was just a, a real growing understanding that, hey, this is just, you can do that, but it's not what God, it's not his highest desire for you. And with those two revelations, the third thing happened, which was the knowledge that I was free to still choose. I was free to say yes to the business, I was free to do it. But that I would, every day that I was doing it, I would know that that's what I wanted. That that was what I chose, in spite of what I knew God wanted with that. And it was very unsettling. But it's become one of the most influential decisions that Jane and I have made in the course of our marriage and in our ministry. This willingness to say no to what seems obvious, this willingness to stop and pray, and not just to do what seems like the best at the time, and to walk out into an unknown future, because at that time we, we didn't know what was next with our ministry. And this willingness to be unsettled, to see things from God's perspective, is at the root of this first Psalm of Ascent that we study, Psalm 120, this morning. If you were here last week, you'll know that we're about to spend a number of weeks in the first half of the Psalms of Ascent, the songs that the people would pray as they went up three times a year to the, to the festival in Jerusalem. And, and some theologians argue, well, maybe it was just the priest who sang these songs and maybe, maybe they prayed them in a certain way, but we know that knowledge of them and awareness of them permeated all the people, that all the people were familiar with them. And we talked about a little bit last week about how these Psalms of Ascent, these Psalms of Going Up, are a metaphor for our own lives. It's a way of understanding our own journey towards ever-increasing encounter with God about how just as the people would go up to Jerusalem to the temple three times a year to meet with God, we likewise are on a journey as his disciples, as followers of Jesus. We are on a journey towards God. And so these songs become our songs as we likewise travel with that. And then one of the really interesting things that came out of this week, which I, I love, is a Mike Maloney suggested this is like the ultimate mixtape, is that the Psalms of Ascent are that, that playlist, your road trip playlist, that you put together as you go. And I mean, how many of you have one of those? Anybody? You got, you've got that, that one playlist that, man, when you hit the road, you know, okay, vacation starts now, and you hit that song, right? Okay, we're going back home now and you hit that song. Oh, you roll down the windows and you get that first cool air of fall. You're like, oh yeah, I got to play that song. You're heading out to the lake. Oh yeah, got to put that song on. That's what these are in a way. It's this, it's this playlist, this road trip playlist that we're going to learn as we go through this. And we do this all the time. This is, this is something that, That as Christians is unique to us. As human beings, we do this. We quote movie lines. We have different songs that we do this. These songs, though, these songs that we adapt and adopt as our own are things that we share with generations. Thousands of years of God followers have been singing these songs. And so these speak to a culture beyond just this culture, beyond just our understanding here. These speak to something sacred and ancient. And yet as we sing them, they become ours as well. So let's look at this first one, Psalm 120. And I'm going I'm to use the message here, uh, uh, paraphrase. It's not It's not a literal translation, it's a paraphrase, but especially when we get into the Psalms, I believe they convey meaning well, but I encourage you in your personal study to look at them in different versions, as always, but the messages we'll be using here. So it starts this, I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly, but lie through their teeth. Now that's a little bit startling the start of a journey is a desperate plea for help. It's not necessarily an excitement about going to someplace exciting. It's more a recognition of where they are they need to be delivered from. But he goes on and he says this. He says, Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming, all you bare-faced liars? Pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. He's, the, the psalmist is kind of brushing the dust off his feet as he goes. He's saying, I'm leaving you liars behind. It's not going to end well for you. But then he recognizes again. He says, I am doomed to, le- to live in Meshesh, cursed with a home in Kedar. My whole life camping among quarreling neighbors, I'm all for peace. But the minute I tell them so, They go to war. This is not the trouble of inconvenience. This is not a psalmist speaking of being um, put out because his neighbors play their music too loud or at the wrong time. This is a life or death struggle. This is the struggle between war and peace. This is the struggle between eating and famine, health or sickness, captivity or freedom. And this is where it starts. And it, and it starts with this revelation. There's, there's three ways that I want to kind of filter this through this morning as we look at this, this start to our journey. And it's first with asking this question, well, hold on, why can't we just all get along here? What's the big deal? Like, come on. Like, like, he talks about, he uses the illusion here, uh, and Julie in our, in our uh, teaching team this week was so, was so diligent to point out, they're not talking about like coming in and setting up a house. It's, this is camping, this nomadic illusion of moving. People moved to where the resources were. This is a nomadic psalm. They, they moved with the grass when the grass was good. They moved with the water where the water was fresh. And everybody did that. Because everybody needs resources. Look, we all live here. This, this diversity of people in northwest Arkansas live here because there's jobs here. There's resources here. The cost of living is low. There's good schools here. We live, people come to the United States for opportunity with that. We don't, we don't put a, um, a test a religious test on people when they come in. This is a land of opportunity. People come in, and we live among them with that. And even though we desperately desire for peace, we desperately desire to get along, in an honest assessment, we look around and we go, we're surrounded by people who don't look like us, think like us, act like us. And in some ways, that's great. That diversity offers an opportunity for us to understand and to grow and to be enriched in that But in other ways, we realize, and this is not based on ethnicity or anything like that, but on a view of God. What do we do when we can't get along? What do we do when we are threatened to be assimilated into a society that denies God? And I'm not talking about political stuff here. I'm talking about a very fundamental issue of an an idea of human flourishing, a way of understanding God, a way of understanding ourselves, a way of understanding the future, the world, and everything in it. As Christians, and, and this is as Christians I'm talking about here, When we really take and stop and take step and take stop and take stock of the world around us, we are put in a profoundly uncomfortable situation. And we realize there are just simply things we cannot do. There are things we cannot engage in. There are truths that we cannot assent to. And so we go, I'm in trouble, God. I'm in trouble. I want to be faithful to you. I believe that my beginning, my my being, and my end is in you, God. That you are the one. But I'm surrounded by people that as soon as I say that, and I say that I'm for peace, they go to war. They go to war. Eugene Peterson says this. He says a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. That's a hard thing to do in America. That's a hard thing to do because we we grow up with the idea that we're the best nation on the earth, that we're the most powerful nation. That, hey, it's as good as it gets in America. And you know what? That might be true. But it's not the kingdom of God. It's not the place that we were created for intentionally. We will only find that as the people of God. And it will only be culminated when Jesus comes back. That until that time comes where the Lord of all history brings all history together, until that time comes when God himself steps back on the stage visible to all creation to restore all things, we will always be a pilgrim people. We will never be permanently settled anywhere at any time or any place. And that, that unsettling, that refusal to be, to just get along, to go along is where all discipleship starts. It's where all our ascent starts, our moving upwards and onwards in that. Many of us have experienced this when things get bad. We've all encountered those times, those tragic situations. Disease, divorce, bankruptcy, illness, death, where the world no longer works, where it's very easy to see that life around us isn't going to end like we want it to end. In those times, it's, it's often the easiest then to say, okay, Jesus, you're all I've got. But what happens when the tension eases? What happens when your stock portfolio is robust? What happens when the marriage is sweet and the kids are healthy and obedient and the job prospects are going up? What happens then? Do we lose that? Does that take away our motivation? to be obedient, to journey with Jesus? Listen, we're a peculiar people. All of us in this room, as followers of Jesus, we are a peculiar people. We are the people who, when things are going bad, when things seem so horrible, when things seem so cataclysmic and bloodthirsty, we say, hope yet exists. Don't give up. God will redeem. God will restore. There is something worth still living for. There is beauty still to be found. There is life still to be hoped for. We look squarely in the face of tragedy, bloodthirsty, destruction, and proclaim hope. And yet at the same time, when people are saying, peace, peace, Everything's great. We don't need to worry about those few on the fringes who might be oppressed. We don't need to worry about the odd accounts of the left out or the leftovers or the least. We say, no, that is not the truth. Justice still is yet to come. We have not achieved it yet. There is yet more that we must strive for and fight for. None of us is free until all of us is free. We sing with the songs. And we refuse to be content and complacent in the face of prosperity and the demand to just go along, to get along. We are a peculiar people. And to do this, we must constantly be in a state of turning around. You see, we talk a lot about repentance in the church, and we usually do that in a moralistic way. We do, well, you messed up, you offended someone, you broke a law, you broke a moral, you broke a principle. You need to you know, ask forgiveness and do that. And that is true, that is true. But that is just, honestly, it's a smaller slice of the whole. Repentance is more of an, an overall attitude that we cultivate on an ongoing basis of continually turning away from things that are not of God and drawing us to them. It's constantly a way of assessing and discerning the lies that threaten to inform us, that threaten to control us, and say, no, I will turn towards the truth and I will turn towards the one who is true. I thought a lot about this. I thought, as I've been meditating on this this psalm, I thought, what were the lies that the psalmist had in mind? He says they speak from these glistening teeth, these smiling lips, they speak forth lies. I thought, what were the lies that, that he was thinking of? What would have been those terrible lies to this ancient psalmist? And I came up with nothing. (laughs) I honestly don't know. I don't know if it was like, well, you know, if you breed your sheep with my sheep, we'll have more sheep. I, I, I mean, I don't know what it was. I don't know what the lies were at that point. Except I know this. I know that the root of all lies is in a Trinitarian denial of three things. The root of all lies is in that we forget that we come from God. We deny that we come from God, that he is the creator, the originator. We deny, we forget, we fight against that our existence now is in God, that in him we have our life, our movement, our being, that God is present to us. That God is active among us. That God is vibrant and alive in our community and in this world. And we deny and forget that that is where we're going. That our telos, our ultimate end, our direction is in God. That we ultimately will stand face to face with that creator of old in the future ahead. And that everything that we have done in our lives will be laid out in that moment. That is the the grandfather of all lies. It's the root of every lie. You didn't come from God. You're separate from God now. You're not going towards God. And we're constantly having to turn away from those lies. Repentance always and everywhere is the first word of the Christian life. In your study guide this week, you'll see, you'll be challenged to find how many times this is used. The first words of Jesus, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And this we we have to we have to redeem this word from churchy, black cloaked, stern <laughs> old stereotypes and bring it into a cultivating it as a way of tuning our hearts towards God with that. And like I said, we're doing that to paraphrase Mark Twain in a society where there are lies. Damn lies, and just the way things are, and that's butchering the original quote. If you know what that is, you know it's said that the three of the most expensive, or or one of the most expensive sentences in the homeowner's phrase is uh, "While we're at it." (laughs) Anybody been there remodeling? Well, while we're at it, might as well just call the credit card company and see if you can increase your your limit. And I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this in, this in this term, is we're so, it's so beat into us, well that's just the way things are. Sure there's corruption, that's just the way things are. Sure there's going to be racism, that's just the way things are. Sure some people are going to not be able to go to the schools adequate for their kids, ah, that's just the way things are. It might be one of the most pervasive lies that we face as Americans. It's just the way things are. You got to vote for this candidate, because if you don't, this candidate's going to win. You only got two choices, just the way things are. You got you to vote for somebody that you don't like in order that this person that you like less is not going to be elected. It's just, just the way things are. You know, well, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta live your life this way. You gotta drive this thing. You gotta eat these things. You gotta do this thing, because that's just the way things are. We're in trouble, y'all. We're in trouble. We have to, it starts with that admission. We are in trouble. And what are these destructive lies? How do we expose them and how do we turn away from them? Well, it starts with this revelation. It starts with this basic confession that we start with today as we study these Psalms. We're in trouble. Elie Wiesel, the incredible Jewish statesman who recently passed away, who, if you've never read his book, Night, which is pretty much required reading, I think, in most schools now, but if you've never read it, read it, read it. He spent his life refusing to let people forget of the suffering of the millions of Jews who died in the Holocaust. But he was also, especially in his later years, he came back more and more to his faith, which he had rejected. As a child who survived the t- Holocaust, he could not imagine that there was yet a God who would allow such suffering. And yet, as he continued to work through his years and get older and work with victims, more and more he became aware that that was simply not true, that there was a God. He never really came, we don't know what his relationship was, but he came to admit and submit that yet there is yet a God. But he tells this story. He tells us this, it's not so much a story as a reoccurring theme that there is throughout Jewish literature. And the theme is this, that there are two wanderers in the woods and a great storm has come up. And there's lightning and there's rain and the the clouds have blotted out the moon so they can't see the path. And they know if they stray off the path, there's danger behind every tree. And they're stuck. And suddenly a flash of lightning illuminates everything. And he says the fool raises his eyes and looks just at the blinding light, whereas the wise man looks down and finds the road that is illuminated by the lightning this revelation that things are not as they should be listen how can you how can you listen to the news just this week the sheer horror that our fellow human, fellow human beings have suffered on this planet. The shocking horror that comes from Nice, or yet the ongoing horror of 15 million refugees in our world right now. 15 million people chased from their homes and their countries because of brutality and war. And we can get so caught up looking at the lightning flash that we see no way we stand transfixed in horror. Or we can let this illuminate our way up with these people who sing on this Psalm of Ascent. Eugene Peterson goes on and he says that repentance is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. That's where the Psalms of Ascent start. That's where every path to discipleship starts. That's where every road to faith begins. Is, and, it, and it has to happen constantly. Yes, we make one decision, and then we continue to make that decision. Sometimes, hourly, make that decision to say yes to the path of peace with Jesus. And we need a vision for that. We talked last week about the need, again, for that active gospel imagination, for that perspective from God. Because I really, honestly, I don't don't think we can see it. We are bombarded with such constant images, such constant information that says, this is all there is. Just get along. It's not so much that we don't believe there is a God, we just don't think he has any relevance. It's just not pertinent to our situation. Maybe as a rescuer every once in a while when we get our, you know, self in a bind, we call God and he gets us out and then we're okay. We do not have any imagination for a God-infused present, past, and future. And N.T. Wright says this about the Psalms. He says, the Psalms function by transforming the imagination. It isn't so much that the world doesn't believe in God. Most people simply can't imagine what it might be like to live in God's world, his time, in his space, that should be, and in his matter. We're in a world right now that desperately needs to lament. It needs to lament the pain and the injustice. It needs to lament the tragic loss of life and the systemic situations which perpetuate injustice and oppression. And I heard someone say this week, that the best lament is our willingness to wonder what the world would be like without those things. And that's what I challenge you this morning. I challenge you as you go throughout this week and you meet in your community groups and you study through the study guide that you'll do these things, that you'll take honest assessment of the world around you and say, do I really believe that I come from God, that I am rooted, my existence is rooted in God and that I'm going towards God? And then if that is true, be willing to imagine a world where God was infusing things in such a way where those things which are terrorizing us are no more. And then let us live into that vision, not the vision that the world offers us. We're going to transition now into our time of communion in Listen, we practice communion here. We're learning it as we go. We're we're bodily inhabiting this act of remembering Jesus. And as we remember him, then we take him into our present. And as we take Jesus into our present, we yet hope for the future when we will sit at the table present with Jesus. All who are seeking Jesus are welcome at this table. And we'll also take an offering here because that is this act of submission to one another and recognition that everything comes from God, that all that we have now is from God, and that God will provide everything with that. We invite you to reflect on this message. Don't believe me because I have the microphone. Please don't believe me. Study this yourself. Talk about it among your groups. Research it. But reflect on it now. And if you need to pray, find someone here. There are so many people here who you can trust to pray with you, to process this with you. Ask the worship team to come on up. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks again for listening to the weekly podcast from Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you have any comments or questions or would like to know more about us, visit GraceChurchNWA.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, too. We hope you join us again soon. In the meantime, grace and peace and have a great week.